Well, good morning. It's great to see everyone this morning. I know we've got some guests who are here, so if you are a guest with us for the very first time, um, I want you to know we love it when new folks come to our church every week. And so we'd love to begin the the process of connecting with you just to find out who you are, how we could potentially um, serve you and your family. And so the easiest way to do that is to text the word welcome to 817-755-1668. Miranda, why didn't you get one of the guys to do that? Appreciate Miranda and her leadership while Cody's out this week. Um, Thanks for leading us this morning. So if you are a guest with us, we would love to connect with you in that way. What you will receive back when you text the word welcome is a digital connection card. Just get some basic information. That way you can receive an email from me tomorrow. So we're not going to do anything weird and show up at your house or just get an email. We can begin that process. But if you um, do have any questions about the church... Um, or anything that you hear this morning, I would love to just connect with you after the service, um, answer any questions that you have. So I'll be out at the Connection Center, so out the doors to the right. I'll be over there. Um, and would, if I haven't met you yet, would love to meet you um, or just answer any questions that you have. Also, if you would rather do kind of the old school thing, we do have hard copies of guest cards that you can fill out there as well. Just um, come grab one of us and we can get one of those to you as well. Um, but we're excited that you're here. You know, when new folks come to our church every week, like, like you might be thinking, okay, what is distinct about this place? And here's the way that we say it. We want to be a church where your faith comes alive. So that it's not just this thing that you do, but it is that thing that is guiding everything that you do. And we want you to be a part of what God is doing in the lives of other people as well. And so if you were not here last week, um, I highly encourage you to go watch last week's service. Um, We talked all about serving and looked at opportunities to serve in the church. And the reality is we need everyone to be serving so that we can do what God has called us to do and make a difference here in this community. And so if you weren't here, I would encourage you to watch the service. If you were here but did not tell us where you want to serve, you can still do that today. Um, we have our cards from last week at the Connection Center. And so maybe you're like, I'm kind of nervous about this, not really sure what to do or whatever. Um, come talk to one of us and we can point you in the right direction. Or if you just wanted to think about it for a day, um, that day is past now. So now you can tell us where you want to serve Um, And we have some specific needs. We had lots of people sign up last week, which was incredible. But I will tell you specifically, we need some help in guest services with greeters and folks to help out in the parking lot. Last week in our second service, like basically the parking lot was pretty full. And so we're kind of needing more hands to get people in the right places and stuff like that. And so if you did not sign up, those specifically are some areas that we could really use help in. Um, So let us know that you want to do that. Um, And let me say this too, if you did not, if you signed up last week and you did not get anything from us, please let us know. You should have received an email that says, hey, we recognize the fact that you have signed up to be a part of this and we're with some, you know, getting background checks done and all those kinds of things. So if you didn't, if you signed up last week and you did not hear from us, know that we thought we reached out to everyone um, via email, and sometimes you know things go into junk and stuff like that. So if you did not hear from us, please let us know so that we can make sure that we get you all the information to get you lined up within the next couple of weeks starting to serve, because we absolutely want you to own the mission um, like we talked about last week. So there you go. We're starting a new series this morning, so um, let me pray for us, and we'll jump into the message. Heavenly Father, thanks um, for your love that you've extended to us. 
God, we um, recognize our dependence upon you. Um, We need you to be at work in our hearts and lives, drawing us closer to you, transforming us so that we can become more like Jesus. And Father, I pray that through um, what we look at in your word that you've given to us this morning, Father, I pray that you would do that. Uh, May we be confident in who you are and all that you've done for us and the love that you have for us, and may that transform our hearts and lives um, forever. And so, Father, help us to be open to the work that your Holy Spirit wants to do in us. Um, Help us to say yes to you, to lay our lives down as a living sacrifice like Melissa talked about a few minutes ago. Um, Thanks for your presence with us this morning. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. There has never been a time in my life where I did not believe that God loved me. Part of the reason for that is that I was taught that from a very early age through stories, lessons in Sunday school, and even through song. So growing up in church, there are like two songs that are the first two songs that you learn at least back into the two and three-year-old Sunday school class, if not even before that. But that's at least... I say I remember that. I don't. I probably don't remember. I just feel like I remember it at this point in my life. And those two songs are the B I B L E and Jesus Loves Me. Right? Many of you learned those same songs too. And 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 those songs really shaped my faith from a very early age. And, and so from as early as I can remember, I learned that I can trust the Bible. Right? That's the B-I-B-L-E. And then I learned that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak. He's strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. So because of that song, I knew God loved me. And I don't necessarily know that I was aware of this or thought this at the time, but I didn't struggle with believing that truth because it made sense for God to love someone like me. I grew up in church, grew up a part of a Christian family. We went to church all the time. Uh, We tried to do the right things. I wasn't a perfect kid, but I felt like I was a good kid. You know, my sisters and I, we were some of those kids that, you know, adults would go to my parents and say, Man, your kids are so well-behaved, those kinds of things. And so it made sense for God to love someone like me. But as I got a little bit older, I began to wonder, well, does God love everyone in the same way that he loves me? Or could everyone sing that song with the same assurance that I could sing that song? Because what if their story was different than my story? What if they didn't grow up in a Christian family, going to church every time the doors were open? What if there were problems in their family? Or, like, especially this was still true when I was a a kid, there was a big stigma related to this. What if their parents were divorced? Does God love that person in the same way that he loves me? And I got a little bit older and became a little bit more aware, and I began to wonder, well, what about people who live in a foreign country? 
You see, I was taught my entire life, the reason that we have the way of life that we do in America, the reason that we enjoy the prosperity that we do in America is because of God's blessing on us. And so I began to wonder, well, what does that mean for people that don't live the way that we do? Don't enjoy the prosperity that we do. Does God love them the way that he loves me? So when it says, yes, Jesus loves me, does that me include everyone? Got a little bit older, and when I was in junior high school, began to wonder about countries in the Middle East. I was in the seventh grade when the first Persian Gulf War was fought. And really, I think it was at that point for the first time in my life, I recognized that there were things like Muslim countries and Muslim people who lived very differently than I did. And, and, and their way of life seemed opposed to all of the things that I knew and believed. And so I really began to wonder, well, does God love everyone in the same way that he loves me? Does Jesus love me? And by me, does that mean all of the me's that could possibly sing that song, or is it something less than that? One of the things that I love about our church is the diversity of the backgrounds of people that are a part of our church, because not everybody is like me. Many of you did not grow up in church like I did. We have staff members who came to faith in Christ as adults, and I think their perspective is incredibly valuable for us. But maybe that's your story. Maybe in the past when you've heard God loves you, you've wondered, does that really include me? Or because of the things that I've experienced, the things that I've done, the things that I've gone through, maybe I'm excluded from that in some way. But yet I truly believe when we understand and embrace the reality that God loves each and every one of us, it is transformative. And so we are beginning a new series today. It's really short, just uh, today and then the next two weeks. But my goal for us in this series is that every one of us would walk away firmly convinced of the truth that God loves each and every one of us, and embracing that truth would change our lives. And so we're going to begin by talking about why we can, we can know for sure that God loves us. And so if you do have a Bible, I would invite you to turn with me to the passage that we're looking at this morning, which is John chapter 3. And we're going to look at verses 16 through 18. John 3, 16 through 18. So yes, we are this morning looking at what is probably the most famous passage or verse in the entire Bible, John 3.16, it is the reference that has been put on the posters and held up behind the goalposts at football games for decades. And if you are a professional wrestling fan, yes, it is the verse that was the um, impetus for the famous Austin 3.16. I just wanted to throw that out there for you. Um, it has nothing to do with anything that we're talking about today. John 3.16 so if you've got a Bible, you're turned there. If not, it's going to be on the screen as I read it. Or if you have the YouVersion Bible app on your phone, um, you can follow along in our live event. Here's John 3.16. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe 
is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. The title of this morning's message is God Loves the World and All That That Means. And our structure is really simple. So if you're going to take notes, super simple today. There are two points followed by two questions. So two points and then two questions. How we know that God loves us, point number one, we know that because there are no prerequisites to being loved. You notice John 3.16 says God loves the world. It doesn't say God loves the world when you do this or when you meet a certain standard, nor does it say God loves the world when you're from this part of the world. It simply says God loves the world. There are no qualifiers to that at all. God loves the world. Now, it is important, though, to think about what it means when John writes the word world. When he says God loves the world, what does that mean? What does the world actually mean? So you think about it, when we use the word world in conversations, we could use the world in many different ways. It would have different definitions. We could say that is a map of the world. And what we're talking about is the planet, like Earth. That's a map of the world. That's a map of Earth. So it would be one way to use it. We could also say something like this. The world is a dark place. When we use the word world in that sense, we're talking about maybe an aspect of culture that's um, you know, bad or evil or something like that. Well, just like we would use the word, word world differently, the New Testament actually does the same thing. It's really interesting because we read here in John 3.16, God loves the world, but then Jesus says to his followers, do not love the world nor the things in the world. So if they had the same definition, there would be a conflicting thing. How does God love the world, but then we're not supposed to love the world, but those are different things. When Jesus said, don't love the world, what he was talking about is a system of values or beliefs that stands opposed to the things of God. But when John says God loves the world, I think he means something different. I would define it this way. And when John says God loves the world, what he is saying is God loves humanity, all people, even in their state of lostness. So God loves the world or God loves people, even in their state of lostness. Now, likely many of us are at least somewhat vaguely familiar with John 3.16. God loves the world. In fact, we're so familiar with it, we may not understand the significance of that statement when it was first presented. Because when John wrote the words, God loves the world, it was a radical statement. In the world of the first century, in Judaism, Jews did not believe that God loved the world. They knew God loved Israel and wanted to save the world, but yet they weren't really sure that God loved the world. Now, I want you to understand how significant that reality is for somebody like me. Because it's really easy for me to think, man, it makes sense that God loves someone like me. Look at my family. Look at the way I grew up. It makes sense that God would love someone like me. God loves me, and I could really fall into the trap of thinking God loves me but wants to save the world, but I'm not really sure that God loves the world. 
John 3.16 says, God loves the world. No qualifiers, no prerequisites. And that's what's illogical to us. It does not make sense that God would love all people in that way. But yet throughout the New Testament, in the life of Jesus, we see the love of God extended to all kinds of people. He overlooked those in the margins, those from the wrong side of the tracks. Jesus extended his love to them. To a person like the woman who was caught in adultery. Some religious leaders brought this woman to Jesus, hoping that he would say that she should be stoned as a result of what she had done. But Jesus said, whoever's without sin, let him cast the first stone. And one by one, all of the accusers walked away. And then Jesus said to her, go and sin no more. The love of God extended to someone like the Samaritan woman at the well. We're actually going to talk a little bit about her story next week. But she was in the margins of those who were marginalized in the world of the first century. But Jesus noticed her. He spoke to her. He told her that the Father was looking for worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. And he was looking for her. And that message changed her life. The love of God extended to somebody like Mary Magdalene, who had seven demons cast out of her, to guys like Matthew and Zacchaeus, two tax collectors. And in the first century, tax collectors were lumped into this group labeled as sinners that no one wanted to have anything to do with, especially tax collectors, because they worked for the enemy of Israel. God's love changed their lives. But it wasn't just the down and outs, those in the margins, it was extended to others as well, even someone like Nicodemus. Most people believe that John 3, 16 through 18 it comes at the end of a conversation that Jesus had with a man named Nicodemus, and is more of a commentary on that conversation and not necessarily a part of that conversation, but we read about that conversation at the beginning of John chapter 3. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. If Jesus had any enemies while he was here on earth, it was religious leaders who included in that were the Pharisees. But Nicodemus went to Jesus at night, seeking to understand more about who he was and what he was all about. And it was in a non-confrontative, non-judgmental, loving way that Jesus explained to Nicodemus that in order to enter into the kingdom of God, you have to be born again. And that comes through faith in Jesus. The love of God extended to a religious leader. You know, sometimes when we read about Jesus in the New Testament, we read all these stories, it's really easy to think that Jesus was just a revolutionary. He was that in some ways. Almost a a, a Robin Hood figure sometimes, standing up for uh, the, the needs of the marginalized and oftentimes the poor. And he did that too. But yet at the same time, that doesn't mean that he excluded people who were wealthy. Now, he criticized wealthy people a lot because sometimes our reliance on wealth keeps us from God. But yet at the same time, we read about a man like Joseph of Arimathea. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, which was the ruling council in Israel at the time. So he was also a religious leader. He was the one who went to Pilate after Jesus had died and asked for his body so that he could place it in a tomb that he owned that had never been used before. 
It's known as a secret disciple, which is also rather interesting. But the fact that Joseph of Arimathea owned a tomb that had never been used indicates that he was a person of pretty significant wealth. And so what we see over and over again throughout Scripture is God's love extended to all kinds of people. So I want you to be confident in the fact that God loves you, point number one, because there are no prerequisites to that love. Point number two, why we know that God loves us, we know that God loves us because he acted on our behalf because of his love. For God loved the world. Remember, this is humanity even in the midst of its lostness. He loved the world in this way that he gave his one and only son. God loved us so much that he acted on our behalf. It wasn't just that God looked at the lost state of humanity and felt sorry for us. He chose to do something about it. God loved the world in this way. He sent his son. Now, this is something that's really, really important for us to understand. And I want you to follow me, uh, follow this with me, because it's really easy, I think, sometimes to get a wrong view of God. When we have a wrong view of God, then we can have a wrong view of what God has done for us. I don't know why we do this, but I even think I do this myself, and I know better. Sometimes when I think about God, I think about what we read of God in the Old Testament. And this is a wrong understanding of God in the Old Testament, but oftentimes we think of God in the Old Testament as one who is a God of justice, who is ready to judge people and pour out his wrath on people because of their sin. So sometimes we can get stuck thinking that way. That's, I, I think, again, that's a wrong understanding of God in the Old Testament. People of the Old Testament knew God as being slow to anger and abounding in love, but yet because of the stories that we read, we see God as a God of justice, ready to pour out his wrath and punish people as a result of their sin. Now, when that happens and we get stuck thinking that way, we can think, okay, God is a God of justice, ready to punish people, But Jesus stood in the way and said, no, don't do it to them, do it to me. Now, I want you to understand, that's a wrong view, but think about the implications of that. If that's what we get stuck thinking in the back of our mind, then what's heaven going to be like? We're with a God for eternity who, in reality, doesn't want us to be there. Or, Or think about, like we read a scripture like, draw near to God And we're thinking, well, why would I do that to a God who can barely tolerate me? John 3.16 does not say Jesus so loved the world that he stood in the way of the punishment that God wanted to give to us. It says God loves the world so much that he sent his son. And when we read God there, we should think God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We believe in One God who's eternally existed in three persons, the Father, Son, and the Spirit. So we should think all members of the Trinity love humanity so much, even in the state of lostness, that they chose to send the Son. God loves us so much that he chose to act on our behalf. And it is Jesus who came to this earth to take a punishment that was meant for us. While we could do nothing, Jesus accomplished everything that allows us to enter into a relationship with God that should change everything about us and last forever. Because of his love, he chose to act on our behalf. 
we can be sure of God's love because, point number one, there are no prerequisites to that love. And point number two, because God chose to act as a result of his love on our behalf. Two points. Now two questions. First question is this. What do we do as a result of understanding that God loves us? The answer is kind of relatively simple. I'll give you two words. Believe and obey. As a result of understanding that God loves us, we are to believe and obey. Believe is first. While God has accomplished everything through the person and work of Jesus that allows us to enter into a relationship with him that lasts forever, it is our belief or our faith or our trust that allows us to enter into that relationship. And part of that belief is embracing the love that God has for us. And I don't know where you are. Maybe you're one of those people who have been in and out of church for a long time, or maybe this is the first time that you've been in church in a very long time, and you've wondered how God feels about you. Not really sure when we sing songs about God's love for us if you fit in the us. When Jesus loves me, you're not really sure if the me is actually me. I want you to know God loves you so much that he sent Jesus to die for you. And you can take that step across that line of faith today by simply saying yes to Jesus, that you believe that he died for you so that you could have a relationship with God that lasts forever. What do we do? Knowing that God loves us, we believe that's the first thing we do, but then we obey. When we understand just how much we are loved, it makes reciprocating that love so much easier. And as a result of the love that God has for us, we should love God. But then the question is, well, what does that love actually look like? Well, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. So it's a lot more than just showing up at church on Sundays and singing about our love for God, but it means that we are obedient to do all of the things that God wants us to do. Jesus in the Great Commission said, and teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. And so what we could do is go through the New Testament and lay out all of the commands. And I don't know how many we'd come up with. I'm sure hundreds of commands that Jesus gave, and we would absolutely be overwhelmed with all of the things that we had to do. So rather than be overwhelmed with all of the things, let's look at two big buckets. First bucket is this, is your life becoming more like Jesus? Is your character being transformed to become more like Jesus's character? That's what it means to love. And then the second thing that we do, the second big bucket is, are we loving other people in a way that leads them to Jesus? So when our lives are being changed so that we become more like Jesus and then we're pointing others to Jesus, then we are loving God in the way that he desires us to love him. Okay, so that's the first question. What do we do knowing that God loves us? Here's the second question. Second question is this, how does God feel about those who don't believe? And this is where it gets hard. Now, I want you to know, I write all of my messages. I did not have to answer this question if I didn't want to. And part of me even still wants to avoid it, if you want to know the truth. Because this is where it gets hard. How does God feel about those who do not believe? First, I want you to know he loves them. God loves 
Now, I want you to know, where I said define world as all humanity, even if it's in its state of lostness, there are other people that try to define that differently, that do define that differently, and define that somewhat smaller than all people. But I have a problem with that, and I'll tell you why. Because if God doesn't love all people, then that gives me an out. See, if God doesn't love all people, then I don't have to love all people either. And that seems to go against everything that Jesus taught in his life. Because Jesus said, love one another. That's inside the circle. Then he said, love your neighbor. And he defined neighbor through telling the story of the Good Samaritan. A Samaritan was a person of a different race than Jewish people. Jesus lived in a Jewish world. So it's a different group of people who, according to Jews in the first century, that was a different race of people that was unlovable. But Jesus said, love your neighbor. That includes the Samaritan. But he didn't even just stop there. He then said, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. So yes, I absolutely believe that God loves all people, even in their state of lostness. God loves all people and desperately desires for them to come to faith in Jesus. 2 Peter 3.9 says this, God is not willing that any should perish, but that everyone would come to repentance. So God's not willing that any should perish, but that everyone comes to repentance. Now, there's a difference between what you want to happen and what will happen. There's part of God that says, man, I want everybody to come to faith in Jesus. But the reality is that not everyone will. It's as a result of our sin that we stand condemned before God and deserving of punishment. I mean, this is really what the the second half of verse 18 says. Anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. God has done everything to allow us to enter into a relationship with God that lasts forever, but we have to accept that free gift that he offers to us. But I want you to know it's really important. I believe it's important that we understand that God loves everyone, even those who do not believe. Part of the reason that I answer that question, though, is because, again, it's easy to think, well, maybe God doesn't love me because of things that I've done, experiences that I've had. God doesn't love me. But I want you to leave here this morning knowing that God loves you. Doesn't matter what your background has been. Doesn't matter the things that you've done. Doesn't matter the struggles that you've had. God loves you. And that message can absolutely transform your life. In the midst of a time period where you feel like no one knows you or cares about you, I want you to know God loves you. When you feel lost and alone, I want you to remember the truth God loves you. In those moments, maybe even when you doubt the existence of God, I want you to be reminded of the reality that God loves you and you let that truth transform who you are. We can all be absolutely convinced. We can sing that song, Jesus Loves Me, and that is all of the me's because there is no prerequisite to God's love for us. 
And because of God's love for us, he has acted on our behalf, sending his one and only son, so that whoever believes in him would not perish, but that we would have eternal life. Will you pray with me? With everyone's head bowed, as we begin to think about the way that each of us individually need to respond to this morning's message, I want you to know there may be some of you that's, that have never taken that step across that line of faith and said yes to Jesus. And you can do that this morning. It is just a matter of belief. But if you have questions about exactly what it means to have a relationship with God, I would encourage you, find me after the service this morning or shoot me an email this week and say, hey, I want to I want to talk with somebody a little bit more about what it means to have a relationship with God, what it means to have eternal life. We want you to know that God loves you and that that love can transform your life and it lasts forever. We want you to be sure of that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love that you extended to us through Jesus. While we were lost in our sin and could do nothing to earn a relationship with you, you chose to act on our behalf and you sent Jesus to take a punishment that was meant for us so that we could be forgiven so that we could enter into a relationship with you that lasts forever Father I pray for every one of us who are here this morning that we would be convinced of the fact that you do love us that you love me that in the midst of the struggles that we go through would be confident in your love. When we are lost and alone, we would know that you love me. And may that truth give us hope to continue to pursue you, to transform us with your love. And it's in Jesus' name that we